let me guess, you hear discovery call or a sales call and suddenly you are filled with absolute dread. It already feels like you're set up to fail. It feels like your entire body is coursing with anxiety. Or if it's not today, the day of the call comes and before you know it, you are looking for reasons to cancel. You don't want to show up. You hope the client no-shows. Let's talk about the ways to make discovery calls feel significantly more doable. In case you, for some weird random reason, discovered this podcast and you're like, who is this chick? Well, hi, I'm Rachel Peterson. Uh, I actually work as a freelancer still to this day. I teach freelancing, I teach marketing, all the above. Feel free to Google me, Rachel Peterson, all E's and a D in my last name. Now, what's interesting is I say this to share a little bit of context of how I discovered these different things. Uh, I started as a freelancer for the very first time charging $15 per hour back in 2014. And I probably did every single thing wrong. Some people, you know, do research and learn first and follow proven scripts, formats, templates. That wasn't me. That was uh, who I wished I was, but I've always been someone who dives in and learns things the hard way and then searches for solutions when that did not go according to plan. So when I share things, I'm really excited because I know firsthand that these types of things really and truly work because I've tried the alter uh, alternative as well as all the different alternatives across the internet and I compiled my absolute favorite things. So in order to love discovery calls, we're going to flip a few paradigms. It's going to go probably quite different than any other discovery call you've ever done, regardless of what you call it. The first thing I want to share, and this is big, is some of the things before a call that can help make the experience of taking the call significantly better. Number one, this is a very strict rule that I have. Anytime I haven't followed this, I have regretted it. We have an application that is mandatory to get on a discovery call with me. The reason for that is I want to know a few key pieces of information before I decide if I'm going to even take the call. Now notice what I just said, if I even take the call. Some people think if someone applies to work with you or wants a discovery call that you're automatically in, uh, required to give it to them. You aren't. Not everybody's going to be a good fit at this time. and. Our criteria is going to change from season to season. So I ask a series of questions that if they don't answer, they're all required in my form. It's on my website, rachelpeterson.com, that help me to learn more about this person, their mentality, uh, their kind of outlook on life. So I ask the basics, name, email, phone number, business name, business website. If they do not have a business website, I personally will not schedule a call because I don't specialize in startups from the ground up. Let me rephrase that. I used to specialize in that and I was really good at it, but it was so much work. I would just get absolutely drained and have nothing left for my family at the end of the day. So I don't do startups anymore or brand new launches. The next thing I ask is what marketing services do you need support with? 
thing after that is the specifics about what it is that they're looking for support with. Um, is it specific platforms? Is it specific results, etc.? You can customize this however you want. Then I do ask their current monthly revenue. I already know that if a business isn't generating at least seven figures per year, they're probably not going to be best suited for the way that I operate with my clients uh, at this point in time. Now, in the past, I would work with clients who did 200,000, 300,000, maybe 500,000 per year. Today, I'm really and truly looking for people doing one, two, five million as like the beginning point so that I can come in and work directly with their marketing team, which is my favorite thing to do. It's my zone of genius right now. Uh, I ask, are you ready to invest in social media support? And it's open-ended because I want to see how they respond to that. When they say things like, um, it depends on how much it costs, I already know that because my offer is premium and very hands-on, they're probably going to say no. But if they say yes, uh, I think so. It just depends on if we click or things like that. Cool. I ask, what is your main goal from working with me? That's really important. If they say, I want you to 10X our business in one year, I already know that while that's always a dream, that's an unrealistic expectation. I also like to ask, what should we know about your business as we consider working with you? Now, the reason I ask that is because this is their opportunity to basically word dump about their feelings, their experiences, things that I look for here, are they going to bash their past freelancers? Um, I have a track record, or rather clients who have a track record of bashing past contractors, freelancers, employees, have a 100% track record of being absolute nightmare clients. Just putting that out there. And then this is something extra I add to mine. If we are not a good fit at this time, are you open to being connected to some of our top talents mentored by me? Yes or no. And then that way, if it's not a good fit, but they're not a nightmare client, I can still share them with the students of the social click, which is so stinking fun. Now that is a big piece. I don't let people schedule a call until they filled this out. Then I send the link once I've reviewed this, or rather Kellyanne has reviewed this. Huge, 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 huge. The next thing I want to share, and this is very fascinating. There are two trains of thought and both can work and I'll share what works for me. Some people like to go and research a company fully. I just pop on their website and quickly see like what is the offering. Uh, is Are there any red flags on the website? And if not, I actually like to go in with fresh ears and eyes so that I don't invest an hour doing a deep dive into their brand until I make sure it's a good fit, learn from them, you know, like, oh, we hired somebody and what they put out on social really didn't align with our brand. I don't want to judge them based on that, right? So that's really helpful for me. Some people, like I said, like to spend 20, 30 minutes doing a deep dive into what they can find about them online. There's one more thing as well to set yourself up for success. 
if you can, and they're a big enough company, go on Glassdoor and study the reviews from that company. Absolutely eye-opening, even if there's only one. Just putting that out there, speaking from experience. The next thing I want to share is about when the call actually shows up. Some people prefer voice-only calls. I personally prefer video calls because it allows us to build an actual connection and I know that then I can read some of their like facial cues, body cues, etc. It's really helpful for me to kind of get a bigger picture of what's going on. Um, this hasn't happened, not this particular situation, but I also like to see like their background. How do they present the space in which they work? Um, when I see a prospective client with something like a bunch of babes in bikinis on the wall behind them, I instantly know it's not going to be a good fit. <laughs> We're just not going to hit it off. So I'll straight up say, if I see stuff that just is telling me this isn't a good fit, I actually don't want to waste your time. I know your time is really valuable. So is mine. Um, I don't think that I can support you. And so I don't have any questions for you today. But I wish you all the best. And then we end the call. This is paramount. Everyone thinks discovery calls need to be an hour. I close packages that are 47000 to a quarter of a million dollars off of a preliminary 20-minute discovery call. I am a huge fan of limiting your discovery calls to 20 to 30 minutes. And I'll share the reasons for that in questions and offense versus defense in a moment. Now, when I'm closing a client off of a 20-minute discovery call, there's usually one follow-up call. But I prefer taking follow-up calls once someone's already seen my pricing and they're potentially excited about what I offer. 20 minutes is the perfect amount of time. Cool. Uh, I'm going to share a few things, and I think this is big. I have seen people vape on discovery calls. I've seen people yell at their kids on discovery calls. I've seen, and I mean yell, yell, and not mute and say one moment, I have to deal with something, go off camera or whatever. I've seen people show up looking like they rolled out of bed. Now we don't have to wear blazers to be considered successful, but in general, first impressions are pretty big. So even as I record this episode, I'm wearing a pretty casual sweater and um, I look just kind of comfy. For a premium offering, I would probably curl my hair, put on some bigger earrings, or something that just indicates that there's going to be a premium or luxury or a high ticket service offered. So make sure that the presentation you're sharing upon first impression aligns with what it is that you're offering. Okay, so don't vape, <laughs> don't yell at your kids. 
If your background is messy, go sit next to a wall, a blank wall, because you want to just eliminate the things that are distractions. Now, as you work with people, they're going to get to know more of who you are on a day-to-day basis. And that's perfect. So for example, I have um, clients right now that have paid me a quarter of a million dollars. And at first I was pretty babed up. And then uh, on a call the other day, I showed up with no makeup and they said, oh, we love this because they felt like they got to see kind of like a behind the scenes. And I said, this is how I look when I'm just doing, you know, tech work, strategy work, things that don't require a lot of meetings. I like to be really just comfy. My hair looks kind of messy, no makeup, sometimes a sweatshirt, probably with coffee spilled down the front. And they were like, that is so relatable. So I share that because that could be helpful for some people. Now, when it comes to how the call goes, this is hands down the absolute best situation or experience I've ever had on each and every discovery call is by following this framework. So I start with a uh, two, three, a couple minutes of rapport building. So that's things like, where are you located? Oh, you're in Nebraska? My COO is from Nebraska. Where in Nebraska? Um, oh, that's so cool. Did you grow up there? Oh, you grew up on a horse farm? I have horses. Boom. Instant no like, and trust. So I literally spend two to three minutes. It might seem like small talk, but the goal is to find, do we have mutual interests and things where there's overlap? Or is it just going to be like two different planets, which is also fine, but I like to find some rapport there. Um, I also like to have kind of like rehearsed answers for things, not fully rehearsed, but when people say, where are you from? Um, I'm actually born and raised in Minnesota and believe it or not, I'm a lifer. That starts a conversation. So I usually say that one over and over again, or they'll usually say, Peterson, is that by chance um, Danish? Are you Danish? And I say, this is actually really funny. My husband is half Honduran and half Danish, and I took his last name, and I'm actually not Danish at all. I'm Norwegian, predominantly. So those types of things, just prepping for the common things people say can be really helpful, If especially if social anxiety is a part of the anxiety you experience with discovery calls. But then strictly, after two to three minutes, unless we go off on a riff, which has happened, um, I've had some people where we just ended up talking about something for like, 10 minutes and then I'm like okay whoo I'm gonna be a little late to my next call but we gotta get moving so and this is the pre-frame I go into next I'm going to basically ask you a ton of questions because my goal is to figure out how to serve you best so I'm not really gonna talk about myself that much uh, I'll share some of that in the proposal or the marketing strategic plan basically I'm just gonna take a ton of notes put them all together with my team to create powerful solutions that are hopefully able to solve what you're looking to get fixed. And then I'll also say, I also want you to know that what is shared in these discovery calls, I only share with a couple of my team members 
whom I trust with my life. So this is your safe space to vent. I know sometimes it can get hard being a CEO and not feeling like there's a safe space to share kind of the bottlenecks, the frustrations, the areas that you don't feel are up to par, but that's what this is for. My job is to listen without judgment. Okay. Now this is really big. There is, there are two modes in every conversation. If you study great storytelling, you'll find this to be true. I'm going to take a big old sip of my coffee. So there are two modes. There is asking and responding, just kind of back and forth and then there is the art of creating a dialogue that puts people on the offense and the defense so one is on the offense one is on the defense and i have been studying this as i've been writing books and i used to use sports analogies for this but I understand not everybody plays tennis. I actually don't play tennis. I only play tennis, um, Mario Tennis, which is a video game. Uh, but you can write incredible um, back and forth that can really and truly make people feel like there's a volley, okay? So one person says, um, one person says, I'm going to the store. You're going to the store, but it's 7 a.m. That's an offensive. And the other person can respond defensively or they can ignore it or they can come back on the offensive. Now, offensive is not meant to be similar to offensive. Those are different things. Please don't offend your prospects intentionally. Um, I think a lot about the dialogue in Mean Girls. We just watched it last night with um, our older daughters. <laughs> and it was so fun to like show them just like a cultural piece from my childhood that was pretty big. And they loved it. Um, well, one of them. <laughs> one out of 50%. But there's a dialogue with Katie Heron. Kate, Caddy! And... Aaron Samuels, where they're basically up in the bedroom talking about a situation. And he basically like, Aaron says something and Katie's like, but why do you follow her? Follow her? And he, he goes, why do you? So that was offensive, offensive. So it's shifting who has the control throughout a dialogue, a narrative, a discovery call. The single greatest way to make sure you don't end up on the defensive, and by the way, this is how the defensive feels. When someone says, what are your credentials for this? Or even nicely, what are your credentials for this? What's, your, what's the proof that you're good at this? You are instantly on the defensive, if that does happen on a discovery call, you actually want to take 
the offensive back because when you're in defensive, it subconsciously signals to the prospect that you are not someone who is capable of taking control of situations. Now, I hate this stuff because by nature, I'm actually very similar to like Katie Heron. Um, I was homeschooled. I don't understand why we have to learn negotiations or psychology or why people do the things that they do, but it is a necessary part of life. And so when they say, um, what are your, what are your credentials for this? You can say, I'm happy to share my credentials. If I send over a proposal and I'll send it in that email, but I actually have a question about, and then you ask the question and flip the situation. So then I dive into questions and I'm going to share just a few examples. I have ones that I like to use there. It changes with every single call, but I've memorized these and I've used these until I got comfortable with them. So I'll say, tell me about your dream customer. What is she like? Tell me all about her. I'll ask questions like, um, what hasn't gone well in marketing so far? Um, what, how are you going to quantify success? Um, who are three brands or influencers that you admire, stock, feel are competitors? Um, I'll say, what have you tried so far? What has gone well in marketing? Uh, I will ask, sometimes I'll get into specific needs. So I'm curious, what is your current cost per lead as it stands? Um, I will share a whole bunch of questions. In a perfect world, what would this look like? So I ask questions, 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 questions. Before you know it, 20 minutes are done. I just take notes obsessively the whole time. I do take notes on uh, ele electronically. I used to take them written down. And then I realized it's very difficult to share notes with a team or reference notes by keyword searching, especially the bigger your business gets, if it's written down on paper. So if you write notes down on a notebook, I'm gonna recommend that you write them down on paper. So you get to the end of the time. If they're wanting to still talk, you have to say, I actually have a hard stop at 10.20. Um, okay, what I'm gonna do from here is I am going to review these notes with my team we're going to put together some thoughts, see if we can support you. If we can't, we'll let you know. Uh, if we can, I'll send you some thoughts, um, a little explanation of the strategies that I would like to use, and a proposal. And this is different for every person. I personally like one to two day turnarounds, not one hour. I'm a big fan of making them wait. And I know that that goes against what some people say. So I like to say, I'll send it to you by Friday when it's Tuesday. And I know I'm really going to send it on Wednesday or Thursday, but I'll check. Does that work? Um, another question, by the way, you can ask here is a really good time for it. If 
what we are, if what we share is aligned with what you're looking for, how soon are you looking to get started? Because that can help you to determine if it's a good fit or if it's not going to happen so you don't get your hopes up early. Um, now, something I do that has really, really helped in recent times is in, I'm actually going to pull it up while I'm recording this. I do this on my proposal emails. So I'm going to get this pulled up. I add a section at the bottom as a PS that after they see my pricing and they're experiencing price shock, they can see some things. This works really well if your prices are very high and you've worked with a lot of clients. So it says like PS, and here's what I have in mind. Here is my personal stat tracker for my own social media growth in the last 60 days. I walk the walk. Um, here is Dean Graciosi after he hired me to train his team and Tony Robbins team. Here are a few testimonials from some of our clients who we helped make hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars and grow their followings by hundreds of thousands to millions. Here are three case studies from our clients. Uh, and then here are some testimonials from our clients. One is video style and one is written style. And I just share like the little blurbs from the different clients we've worked with. So I share all of this so that um, so that they don't have to ask and put me back on defensive. It's there. They can read it. And that right there was a game changer. It sped up all discovery call post conversations, proposal conversations moving forward. Uh, I'm going to share one thing real fast. If you struggle with having your clients give you testimonials, I'm going to share with you a framework that I'm actually using today for a big client that we're crushing it with. Um, they closed $261,000 in proposals in the first month of working with us when it was $247,500 for the year. So what I'm doing is I am telling them that they need to get proposals. I'm sorry, they need to get testimonials from their clients and customers. And I'm going to push them to get it done. Today, I'm going to strive for it, push for it, make it happen. And as soon as that happens, as soon as I tell them to do that, I'm going to say, now I walk the walk of what I teach. I'm going to ask you for a testimonial as well. And then... I'm going to ask for it and I'm going to say quick question. Did that feel pretty natural? And they'll probably say yes. And I'll say, great. That's exactly how it's going to go for you as well. So, but also can I get that testimonial? So I make it really light. We don't have to get all weird and formal. You can have fun with your clients. So I'll be like, so I just modeled what I want you to do, but I also need that. <laughs> and they'll laugh. Okay. I hope this episode has served you. Isn't this so stinking fun? Um, in case you are needing support with pricing and figuring out how your pricing is going to support your 
everything that you do, building your business, leaving your nine to five, making this a full-time viable gig. If you head on over to rachelpeterson.com forward slash podcast, I actually put together an entire calculator for freelancers to help you kind of break down how many clients you need at different prices to replace your income, hit different income goals, etc. And so I know you're going to absolutely love that. It's totally free too. So head on over there. I will catch you in the next episode. Bye for now.